So as Elliot um, said a little bit earlier, the series that we've been working through at Richmond at the moment is called Flourishing Life. Um, so the plants on stage, I don't know if you can see the plants um, are meant to represent flourishing life. I don't know if anyone's noticed that um, each week of this series we've ended up with more and more and more plants. Um, and when we think of flourishing, we think of things that are green and growing and healthy, um, which is true for many of the plants on stage and for um, everyone that's part of our church family that's brought plants in to share on a Sunday morning. I'm very jealous of your plant growing abilities because these plants are flourishing, unlike the um, plants at my house that are struggling. Um, so as part of this series, we've been looking at the Gospel of John um, and the things that we read that Jesus says about himself in this Gospel, about, about who he is and um, how who he is helps us to live a flourishing life in him. And um, this morning we're going to look at um, a few things from John chapter 6. So the beginning of John chapter 6 tells us the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, so in this story, a large crowd had gathered to hear Jesus teach and to see him do miracles. And they stayed for a while and they ended up hungry. And nobody had brought any food with them except we read a small boy who had five small loaves and two fish. And Jesus took that food and he multiplied it and he made it enough to feed everybody with food left over to share. Jesus had done this miracle that had taken away the hunger of the crowd and cost them nothing. And the people were so enthralled by this that they tried to make Jesus their king. And we read that um, in verse 15 that Jesus actually ran away because they were so passionate about this idea of Jesus being their king that he knew that they would try and make him their king by force. The people eventually caught up with him um, and we read this exchange between them and Jesus in John chapter 6, verses 25. Uh, and so this says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. So in this passage, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. What does 
the bread of life mean and what has it got to do with flourishing life? Bread of life sounds a little bit of a strange um, statement, but if we think a little bit about what bread does, um, it starts to make a bit of sense. So bread sustains us and it fills us. In many cultures all over the world, bread, bread is a pretty staple food source. The first time I went overseas, um, I had only just turned 18 a month before, so I was quite young. Um, I was going for a couple of months as part of some study for, some international, uh, for an international mission course that I was doing. And I, was, um, I went to the island of Java in Indonesia, and I stayed in a student boarding house. Um, a friend and I were both staying in the same boarding house, but our rooms were um, nowhere near each other. Um, and the boarding house was full of students from the university across the road, and we were the only English speakers in the building. Um, and nobody ever slept, not ever. Um, there was always noise up and down the corridor just outside my door. There was music playing. Uh, I was woken up very early in the morning by the call to prayer from a nearby mosque, and it was just very um, unusual, very different, very hard to get used to. Um, and I was keen for new experiences, and we ate most of our food at um, the university cafeteria or little roadside stalls. Um, but sometimes the newness was just a bit overwhelming. So in that situation, my friend and I would walk down to the nearby supermarket, 7-Eleven or 2G in Indonesian, and we would buy bread and peanut butter. And we would have bread and peanut butter for our afternoon tea for our lunch, just for a little bit of comfort and a little bit of familiarity. Um, to help us deal with the newness of everything else. Sometimes one constant comforting thing helps you handle everything else. When I was pregnant, I ate bread all of the time because nothing else seemed to fill me up. Everything else still left me hungry. Bread was the only thing that satisfied me. Bread is filling, it's sustaining a constant staple food. The people talking to Jesus had been hungry and he had provided them with bread. They followed him and they demanded more bread. They knew the stories of how when their ancestors were wandering the desert, um, which we read about in John chapter 6, that God had provided them with manna, with bread every day. The bread God had given to their ancestors was consistent. It came every day. It was their source of food and it was their reminder that God was with them. The crowd remembered these stories that they had been told about bread in the desert and they demanded the same thing from Jesus. And they were talking about him providing them with actual physical food. But Jesus took what they said and he ran with it and he expanded on it to tell them why he was actually there. He was trying to tell them it's not about food. It's not about your temporary comfort. It's not about some attention-grabbing trick. What I have for you is so much more. The reason I have come to earth is so much more. Verse 33, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He is saying, follow me and I can give you something greater than what you're asking for, than what you think that you want. Jesus is not just a once-off quick fix. He was referring to himself as the bread of life. As there and our today ongoing sustaining source. What does that look like when something sustains you? <coughs> things that sustain us are things that strengthen us, support us and keep us going. 
Every week um, at our 3.30 gatherings at Richmond in the afternoon, someone shares a story of what Jesus means to them or what Jesus has been saying to them. And a little while ago, I shared my story. And sometimes when we think of our story of following Jesus, we think about how it happened, um, what was the lead-up to us meeting him, how did we meet him and what happened to cause us to follow him. But often we don't talk about necessarily what happened next. Why are we still following him? Why are we still a Christian? Why do we still choose to follow Jesus all this time later? And for me, the story of following Jesus is years of him being my sustaining source, of his constant faithfulness, even when I'm not aware of it, and him teaching me to follow him better. Why am I still a Christian? Because I've experienced the way he has sustained me. Because I see the difference that Jesus makes when we allow him to be our sustaining source, when we are dependent on him, And when we share the difference, we can make with others. Because Jesus is king, and it is only through his kingdom that things will be brought to right. And that's something that I want to be part of. There are some wise people in my life who constantly remind me of the faithfulness of God. And every time I get a bit stressed or a bit anxious, they say, okay, yes, yes, but God is faithful. What is he saying to you here? What is he saying to you now? He's faithful. He's talking to you. You need to see And I know that my wise friends have people in their life that they have been praying for for years, for situations, the same situations, the same people for years. And I've often wondered, why do they keep doing that? Things aren't going to change. They're the same. Those people are never going to change. But I've realised recently that their hope, that they're praying, that they're holding on to hope because their hope isn't in those people suddenly realising and changing Their hope is in a God that works miracles. Their view of God is so big that they know that he can change those things. And so their hope sustains them to keep praying, to keep coming to God no matter what the situation looks like. In John chapter 6, which we read earlier, the odd part of the story is that in verse 30, the people ask Jesus, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? But they had just seen Jesus take a tiny amount of food and make it to be enough to feed 5,000 people with moreover. They had just seen the miraculous sign. And it had been miraculous enough for them to passionately want to make him their king. They had followed him over to the other side of a lake and said to him, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus said, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one that he has sent And their answer, show us a miraculous sign. If you want us to believe in you, what can you do? Jesus was like, I just did it. You just saw it. Didn't you see? That's why you're here. Um, Jesus answered them, you have seen me and still you do not believe. The people talking to Jesus only wanted someone to do miracles on command, to genie-like grant their every request to make their lives comfortable in the way that they wanted. The crowd wanted to pick and choose what Jesus could do for them. They wanted a king that could provide what they wanted quickly and easily. But Jesus was offering so much more than that and they couldn't see it. Jesus was trying to tell the people, what I can give you is so much greater than just meeting your physical hunger. You came here wanting a quick trick or an easy meal that will fill you up and then you'll be hungry again. You want me to perform for you, to entertain you in a way that costs you nothing but follow me and I can give you something greater. Do we sometimes decide which parts of our lives we open to Jesus? Do we sometimes ask him 
to do things, but only within certain parameters? What would it look like to just say, Jesus, I need you, not what you can do, but I need you to be the one that sustains me? A flourishing life is a life where we look to Jesus for who he is, not for what he can give us, where we recognise that our needs are met in him. And he does give us many wonderful things that can recharge us and bring joy to our lives. But these things are meant to be a reflection of him, a way that we can see him and share him with others, not a replacement for him. What would it look like to live a life dependent on Jesus every day? Living a life where we ask him each day to keep us going. Well, the end result for us is living a life that looks more like him, seeking to follow him and asking the Holy Spirit to be with us as we make decisions, as we talk to others and in the way that we see others. And just like the crowd that came to talk to him, he's not necessarily promising us comfort, but he's promising us that we can be dependent on him and he will sustain us. My favourite book is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Um, And it tells the story of the gospel in a way where Jesus is depicted as a lion. And when the main characters, which are a group of four children, find out that they are to meet Aslan, the king, they're told Aslan is a lion, a great lion. One of the children replies, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's a king, I tell you. And sometimes following Jesus doesn't look safe. It doesn't look comfortable. It doesn't look what we need. But it's good. The last two years have been um, a bit of a challenge um, in my life and in my family's life. Um, And among the things that that have been going on, um, I've been trying to get through uh, my master's thesis. Um, And I finally finished it. but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the last two years have been a great example of what flourishing life should look like. There's been extra things that have complicated the process. And I feel like instead of being a, um, a great ending, it's been a slow and desperate crawl and it feels like the end of a really bad, sad, poorly written movie where you're just glad that it's over. Um, it's strained my mental health. It's strained my relationships with people around me. Um, It strained my sense of identity. And there has been many tears, not just like nice little tears, but the out-of-control snotty kind with blotchy red faces. Um, And I would love to be able to look back and say that the last couple of years had looked like a great example of what a flourishing life should look like. I would love to have been able to come out and say, oh, it's been hard, but through it all, you know, I could see that Jesus was walking with me. Um, and that I constantly had this great sense of peace and hope that just never wavered. But it hasn't been that clear. Sometimes you forget. Sometimes you doubt. And anyone who's seen my snotty crying, and there's been quite a lot of people, including people that don't know me very well, um, can attest to that. I'm sure Jesus is still trying to help me to learn to trust him better, to have a greater sense of hope and trust in him, because he is with us. But the Bible is also full of lament and grief and people crying out to God and probably a lot of snotty crying. And none of this means that we're not acknowledging Jesus as our sustaining source. 
Having Jesus as our sustaining source means coming to him with our grief and asking him the hard questions. Being dependent on him means looking to him when we need answers instead of trying to find them in something else. Sometimes we could think that when things are hard, that either God can't fix it or he doesn't care. But Jesus is saying, I am your bread. I'm your sustaining source. I'm your flourishing life. And things are hard, but I am here with you. The book of Lamentations has these great verses in chapter 3 where the writer is talking about all the bad things that are going on and then says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. I know that through the last two years, God has been faithful, that he was still speaking even when I found it hard to listen. And because of his great love, I was not consumed. His mercies are new and his faithfulness is new every morning. And when it's hard to trust in him, we can tell him that we want to trust him, but we need his help to try. Jesus says in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You will have trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. As a church family here at Richmond, perhaps a flourishing life is where we can do this together, where we can talk with each other and cry together and pray together and believe together and remind each other that God is faithful, even sometimes when we forget. Um, And I know Elliot was doing that this morning as we prayed together earlier. I started at the beginning by saying that the plants at my house aren't so green and flourishing, Fortunately, things are turning around for them. Um, After 14 years of Andrew and I living together and killing plant after plant, um, I got some new plants for my birthday last year. I have four plants, and I have managed to keep them alive for eight months now. Um, And I have discovered that the amazing things about plants is that they need to be watered. (laughs) All these great studies about how plants grow better if you talk to them. Um, are great, but plants cannot survive on conversation alone. They need water. Who knew? Maybe we are like plants who think that we can find our sustaining source in other things, that we need someone to come along and sing to us and say positive things and put us in sunlight, and all of those things have a place. But Jesus is like the water, the thing that we actually need and the thing that will actually sustain us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you um, that you are our sustaining source, Lord. Thank you that um, you haven't promised that things will be easy, Lord, Um, but you have promised that you walk through it with us, that when things are hard, that you are our source of comfort, that we are not consumed, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning, Father. Lord, as a church family, help us to remind each other of that when that's hard. Help us to hold each other up 
um, when we don't uh, when we don't have the strength to um, to remember that you are there, Father. Help us to remind each other of you, Lord. Help us to reflect your love to each other, Father. Remind us that you are our sustaining source and our true source of flourishing life. Amen.